that was beautiful and perfectly prepared for the message today, which is from the book of Hebrews. We're in the series, We Hope in the Lord, Truths for a Troubled World. This is part three, While It is Still Today. My text is Hebrews in the New Testament, the back of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter three. I'll start reading at verse seven. My sources include John Calvin, 500 years ago. John Calvin, the father of Presbyterianism. His commentary on the Hebrews. Richard Phillips' Hebrews from the Reformed Expository Commentary. Raymond Brown's The Message of Hebrews from the Bible Speaks Today series. Simon Kistemacher, who finished the New Testament commentary that William Hendrickson began, and his commentary on Hebrews. Ray Stedman's commentary on Hebrews. And a message by Stephen Cole, Uh, on Numbers chapter 14. So today we're looking at Hebrews 3, going backwards in our series. If you've noticed that, we started in the middle of Hebrews going backwards. And uh, so Hebrews 3, starting at verse 7, this is the word of God. So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry, God says, with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now, I don't know if your Bible has an indentation like mine does, But if yours doesn't, you need a new Bible. Because what this tells you in the book of Hebrews is that the writer of Hebrews, whom we really don't know who wrote Hebrews, we're not really sure. Lots of people want to estimate, guess this, that. Let's just know that the Holy Spirit wrote this book. And whenever he did, he was using the Old Testament and quoting the Old Testament. And so he's just quoted from Psalm 95, which was part of our call to worship. And so... You can tell that by the indentation. Then verse 12, he says these words. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word, your word. Your word that is alive and active. And I pray that you would would touch the hearts of the people that have heard this word. That you would be so active and alive with this word that it would open their hearts to help them to see, all of us to see ourselves in a mirror. 
as you speak to us. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Blaise Pascal was a French uh, mathematician of the 17th century, a very brilliant man. He was also a strong believer. He once said this, One half of the ills of life come because men are unwilling to sit down quietly in a room to think through all the possible consequences of their actions. I wonder how much you could say that about yourself, thinking back over your life. How many things did you do, have you done, that you wish you could go back and undo? You see, we're always sowing seeds. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever you sow, whatever you plant, whatever you do, We'll come back to you, he says. He says, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit of God from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You know, during the first part of this series, I mentioned to you that I have a very high view of Scripture. Our church has a very high view of Scripture. Um, I believe in the absolute authority of Scripture. And one thing about the book of Hebrews is that the writer of Hebrews also has a very high view of the authority of Scripture and the role that it plays in our lives. And the writer of Hebrews is exhorting these Jewish Christians, his Jewish Christian audience, to remain faithful to Christ in the middle of their suffering. They're being tested. They're being tried. Life is very difficult for them, something that we can relate to right now. And so his view is, listen to God. Trust the Lord. Keep your eyes upon Him. He begins in Hebrews 1.1 and says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So, what's He doing? If you're following in the outline, which I hope that you are, He's setting the foundation for His approach by acknowledging human instrumentation but focusing on divine authorship of the Scriptures. Now, we're going to look at a lot of verses today, and so I hope that you have a Bible. If you don't, you're probably in your home, and so run around the house, find a Bible. You've probably got one. Get it out so that you can be ready to turn with me as we look at these, and stay with me in Hebrews 3, but also we're going to go back to the Exodus. We're going to go back to, to Numbers and read about some of the things that happened during the Exodus. And so, the first verse in our text, Hebrews 3, verse 7, says this. So, as the Holy Spirit says. Now, what do you notice about that? It's a present tense verb. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit said. The writer points out the relevance of God's Word for today when he talks about the whole of Scripture and the consistent word that we have from Scripture is that when God speaks, He continues to speak. And so we, we have this, this word, this Scripture, that the Holy Spirit has taken the things of God and given them to us through human writers. And He's still speaking through this word. So turn with me to Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. You know, one of the things I miss with us meeting with 
hardly anybody here. I, I don't hear any turning of pages, so I'm going to trust that you're turning pages right now as we look at Second Peter in the back of the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 21. It says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so to show that God's Word is alive and active, as the writer of Hebrews will actually say in chapter 4. In fact, look at chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And listen to this last part. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. And so I, I pray that as we're studying this scripture today, that the Holy Spirit will use God's word to penetrate your heart and help you to think about your actions. You know, in the scriptures, I love how he begins this in verse 7. As the Holy Spirit says, so the point is, he's still speaking to you. He's speaking to you today, and I think he has two lessons. And so let's look at the first of two. God's word from the past, a stern warning. Your blank is warning. The writer begins his text in verse 7 by quoting Psalm 95, which we began with in the call to worship. In the beginning in Psalm 95, the psalmist describes worship that's acceptable to God, but how does he end Psalm 95? He ends Psalm 95 with a flashback to the false worship of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. This reminds us of the importance of the Old Testament. You don't just need a New Testament. You need an Old Testament and a New Testament. You need the whole Bible. And so I want you to recognize the importance of the Old Testament for New Testament believers like you and I. It is truly relevant for us today. We must pay attention, the writer says, to how the children of Israel failed to trust the Lord in the time that Moses was leading them through the wilderness. So let's, little, let's do a little background study on what actually happened in the Old Testament. Look at verse 8 of the text, though, first. It says, Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. What is he talking about? Well, the two phrases he uses, the rebellion and then also the time of testing, actually those two phrases come from two Hebrew words which are actually places. Massah and Meribah. Massah and Meribah. It's a reference to the story told in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. And you may remember the story, but if not, you could flip over there and look at it. The children of Israel were thirsty. They're in the middle of a desert, and they begin to rail against Moses, telling him that they wish that they had never left Egypt in the first place. God tells Moses to strike the rock and water would gush out, which is exactly what happened. Now, I, I don't know what it would be like to be there with those people at the time when you were so thirsty. Now, just imagine the, the, the time in your life when you've been the most thirsty, where you're just, your lips are parched, your, your tongue, you just are so thirsty. You, you're just dying for a drink of water. That's the way they were. 
and all of a sudden Moses hits a rock and water gushes out? Wouldn't you be just like, oh my goodness, what a mighty God we serve. Well, obviously it seems like this just kind of went over their heads. Exodus 17 verse 7 says, And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? I don't know how you could cross through a Red Sea, through a wall of water, and ever question God again. But they did. Now, in Numbers chapter 20, Moses was told to speak to the rock this time. Again, they were thirsty in a place where they were traveling. They were thirsty. God said, speak to the rock. But in his exasperation with the people, and can you imagine trying to shepherd a million people who are complaining all the time? Moses struck the rock again, which caused him to forfeit leading the people into the promised land. But I want us to focus on Numbers 14. So if you'll take your Bible and turn in the Old Testament to Numbers chapter 14, this is another revolt against the Lord's rule. Now, context is always king in interpreting Scripture, right? So what is the context of Numbers 14? I want you to think about that. Do you have an answer for me? What's the context of Numbers 14? They're on the borders of the land of promise. They're on the borders of Canaan where there's going to be rest. And, and they, they come to the borders and they send out these spies. You remember? They, spent, they sent out a spy from every tribe. The 12 spies go out and 10 of them come back with what? With a negative report. A negative report. God has told two of these spies, whose names are Joshua and Caleb, God has told them, you're going to take this land. You're going to conquer this land. Yeah, the people are big. They, they, you know, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes, but, but come on. The Lord is among us. He's with us. We're going to defeat these enemies of ours. And we're going to take their land. And yet, ten of the spies said, oh no, we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. There's no way we can take them. They will, they will surely destroy us. Why in the world did you bring us here? Into the... And so they start to rail on Moses again. Uh, the people cried out that the very God who had delivered them from Egypt now wanted to kill them in Canaan. Numbers 14 says that at that moment the Lord had had enough. The glory cloud of the Lord appeared at the tabernacle... And if this doesn't get your attention, listen to Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? And then if you skip down to verse 22, we read this. Not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me these ten times, not one of them will ever see the land of promise on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Do you know what's happening here? God is declaring that all these people who believe the ten spies, they're not going to inherit the land. 
they're going to forfeit the privilege of entering into God's rest. They're going to forfeit the privilege of entering into the land flowing with milk and honey. Only two are going to be able to see it. Joshua and Caleb. I mean, not even Moses is going to see it because of Moses' anger at the children of Israel when he struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to the rock. And if you noticed in verse 22, it says these ten times. Who have tested me these ten times. Was that the only number that the, the people, the children of Israel, had tested God? We don't really know, but, but most uh, commentators believe that ten is a number of completion. And so as a result, it was probably not ten times. I mean, we got ten plays, we got ten commandments. So ten was the number of completion. We, we don't think it was ten times, but constantly, repeatedly, the people are testing God. And so God was going to destroy all the people immediately, but Moses begged him not to, so he spared them, but he also punished them. And that's where verse 11 says, they shall never enter into my rest. Now, this is the first use of the word rest when we come to the text in Hebrews. There's a theme throughout the book of Hebrews about the people of God entering into God's rest. The Sabbath is a day of rest. This is the Lord's day. It's a day of Sabbath rest. And yet there is a rest that the people of God are longing for. We are approaching that. One day we will have that rest and enter into that rest. Rest speaks to the end of wandering with the promise of tranquility. And here in Hebrews, it refers to the land of Canaan. As we will see, this Canaan rest was a symbol, a picture of the greater rest available to the people of God in the future. So what does all this have to do with us? Okay, I hope you're staying with me. In this modern age, people do not like to be warned. No one likes to be warned. Yet that's exactly what God is doing here as the writer of Hebrews is comparing those distant events in Exodus and the trials being endured by those early Jewish Christians to what you and I face here today. And that's why I can say, today, the Holy Spirit says, He is speaking to us today. And God is comparing the Exodus to the present life of faith. His point is that every believer, every believer, that's you and me, every believer is sure to be tested in this life. You ask, well, why? Why do we have to be tested? Why does life have to be so hard? The answer is today is the day of testing while the day of rest is yet to come. You know, it's easy it's really easy to fall out of trusting God. It's really easy. And not even realize that you've done it. So take your Bible. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is giving them some warnings while we're on the topic of warnings. He says this. 1 Corinthians 10.1 for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, 
God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now look at verse 6. Now these things occurred. These things from Exodus and Numbers. These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And then look at verse 10. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Do not grumble. The failure to correct their habit, the children of Israel's habit of grumbling against God led over a million Israelites to the point where their hardness of heart made it unable for them to take hold of the opportunity to enter into the land of promise when they came to its borders. And so, you, 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 if you know this story, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness kind of in circles for 40 years. Why? Was it that far a trip? No, it wasn't. They wandered in circles because they would not believe God. They would not trust God. Because of their unbelief, listen to this, they died at an average of 90, 90 deaths per day until the entire generation that left Egypt had died out except for only two, Joshua and Caleb. It's a warning to us that a grumbling, complaining heart can blind your spiritual eyes. And so that's the first lesson, a stern warning from Holy Scripture. The second lesson is God's word for the present, a strong appeal, a strong appeal. So the author of Hebrews is a gifted expositor, which means he's skilled in interpreting and and explaining and teaching the Scriptures. But he is also a humble and devoted pastor. And so I want you to look at, again, what he says in verse 12 of our text. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The writer's argument is, if unbelief kept a million Israelites out of the land of Canaan, a picture of God's rest, how much more serious is it today if you allow unbelief to to keep you from missing the greater rest, which would be that of justification and salvation? The rest that God has in store for His people. Now look at verse 13. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He basically says this. Be careful. That same unbelieving heart can be in you. In any of you. I read about a pastor whose name is Dan, who said that when he was a teenager, he knew a man who had a disturbing way of pointing out things about him that made him downright uncomfortable. For example, Dan says in one conversation, quote, this man suggested that I did not know as much about myself as I thought I did, and because of that, I probably would never change. Well, that made Dan mad, and he told this man that he knew himself pretty well, thank you, Who was he to tell him he could never change if he wanted to change? And then he says, Dan says, the man said something to him then that blew him away, something that he's never forgotten. Here's what he said. Dan, there are things about you that you can never change. The reason you can never change is that you can't see them. 
And the reason you can't see them is that you are using them to see. Why don't you think about that for a moment? Dan says a lot of years have gone by since then, but the truth of that man's observation has only sifted deeper and deeper into his soul. He says, like the man who corrected me, God is gently saying to all of us, I understand why you see things the way you do. I know that you look at your heart and your heart doesn't look bad to you. But that's because you're simply using your heart to see the world. You are darkened in truth. You are darkened in your understanding. And you are separated from the life that I want to give to you and for you to have because of the ignorance that is in you due to the hardening of your heart. And so in closing, as we finish up today, what was the nature of this appeal on the part of the writer of Hebrews? I think there are four parts as he talks about how to battle a hardened heart. And I want to tell you something. Believers, Christians, can have a hardened heart. A hardened heart is unable to hear God when God is trying to speak to you. So look with me and follow with me through these four parts as we look quickly at these. Number one, you must hear the word. You must hear the word. Verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you heard a scripture verse read and it spoke to your heart? Maybe you read the verse and you may have read it before and you go, Oh, oh wow, this verse really is speaking to me. Do you recognize that when God does that, He's speaking to you through His Word? He's speaking to you personally? It could have been a while. Now, it could have been a while since you've heard that, that voice of God. If you've neglected to read your Bible for a, a period of time. So, you must read God's Word privately. You must read God's Word personally. You must meditate on the Word of God and its life-changing message which is why God's Word tells us repeatedly in chapter 3, verse 7, verse 15, chapter 4, verse 7, to listen to God's voice. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, I really like to memorize Scripture. I think it's a very important discipline for a believer to adopt to memorize Scripture. Well, one of our elders believes the same way. And so he came up with an idea to challenge our youth group. He asked me about it first before going forward with it, presented it to Chip Kausert, to our student ministries director after that. And basically what he says was, I will give a monetary reward. I'm not going to tell you how much. I will give a monetary reward to any student in our youth group who will memorize, word for word, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. All right, now 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is known as the love chapter. It's not a short, it's not a short chapter. And so this was really a big undertaking on the part of these students if they wanted to. I love the incentive that this elder gave to the students. You do this, you quote it not just once, but a week apart, and you get the reward. Guess how many students took this on? 
and did it. Sixteen. Sixteen of our students. Hey, if you're listening to me, you sixteen, I am so proud of you. I am so proud that you took this on. Who cares that your motivation was maybe monetarily a, a little bit uh, you know, self-serving? Who cares? You, you took it on. You did it. You did it successfully. And now you know 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. And guess what? You'll never forget it. You'll never forget that passage of Scripture because you've heard God's voice through it. And He will continue to speak to you through that passage of Holy Scripture. I just love that. So I'm, I'm thankful that we've got students in our ministry who are hearing the Word of God. I've also heard that this elder has given a two-week extension through the 14th of May for any of you other students who have not taken on the challenge. You've got some time. Get with it. Open your Bible and start memorizing 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You've got to hear the Word. Number two, you must believe the Word. You must believe the Word. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to, to accept or embrace its message by faith. Verse 12 of our text says that the person who has an unbelieving heart will certainly fall away from the living God. The rebellious Israelites who failed to enter the land of promise fell in the wilderness because of their unbelief. So listen to the rhetorical questions from verses 16 through 18. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? And so again, we have this constant barrage of questions from God about those who had an outward facade of belief, yet they were unrepentant. And that applies to all of us. How many of you could say that you come to, to worship when we could come together and we will be back together again soon? When you came to worship, you'd come just to kind of go through the motions. You weren't really there to listen. You weren't there to learn. You were just there. But anybody around would probably think that you're in on this. You're a believer when maybe you're not. You know, until you actually put your trust in Jesus Christ and, and believe His Word... His word means nothing to you. Do you believe his word? Have you heard his word? And then secondly, do you believe it? Then the third part of this whole thing is you must obey the word. You must obey the word. So what's the key idea of our whole text? It's obedience. The point emphasized here in chapter 4 and repeated in chapter 4 is the disobedient Israelites failed to enter because of their disobedience. Even though in the beginning... They received with great enthusiasm the good news of the glorious future that God had in store for them. So look with me in Hebrews chapter 5. This is chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was... He learned obedience from what he suffered. Some of you are going through some very difficult times right now. God will allow those circumstances in our lives to teach us, to trust Him, to learn obedience through what we suffer. As hard as that is, one writer puts it this way, in their lust for the immediate, they lost their hope in the ultimate. That's what happened to the children of Israel. 
And then the same thing could happen to us. In our lust for the immediate, we could lose our hope in the ultimate. The fourth and final part of this is you must share the word. So you must hear the word, you must believe the word, you must obey the word, and then you must finally share the word. And that comes from verse 13. Verse 13 says this, But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. The word here in the Greek is parakaleo, which means to exhort. If you divide the word in parts, it literally means to come alongside and to call out. It's not so much a stern rebuke, but really a a loving admonition meant to pull a struggling believer away from not believing his God. So, So, excuse me, the danger for us and the danger of sin lies in how deceptive it is in gradually hardening our heart making it more difficult for us to resist evil. And so the picture then is that we are to come alongside our fellow believers daily, exhorting one another to continue in the faith. And I want you to listen to what John Calvin says about this in his commentary. He says, As by nature we are inclined to evil, we have need of various helps to retain us in the fear of God. Unless our faith be now and then raised up, meaning repeatedly encouraged, it lies dormant, Unless it is warmed, it will be frozen. Unless it is roused, it will grow numb. The writer of Hebrews would have us then to stimulate one another by mutual exhortations or encouragement so that Satan will not creep into our hearts and by his fallacies, his falsehoods, draw us away from God. And when did he say we're to do that? Today. Today. This word, highlighted and capitalized, is used eight times in Hebrews. Eight times. Do you see how important believers are to one another? I I think we're all feeling that. I think we're all feeling that during this pandemic because we can't be together. And I know one thing I'm missing is your encouragement. But you have been so wonderful as a church to reach out to me with your encouraging words and your loving... uh, your loving encouragement and uh, letting me and, and my wife Donna know that you're praying for us and, and we feel the same way about you. We love you and we miss you. You know, I, I will say this. I don't know where I would be in my life without the constant encouragement and support of my fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned when I started that my number one commentary that I'm using as a source, is John Calvin's commentaries. Now, when I was a seminary student and graduating and finishing up, my youth group bought me, the youth group and their families bought me my commentaries. I was just about to graduate from seminary, and so my youth group, along with their parents, bought me a set of commentaries of John Calvin's commentaries, which are a bunch of commentaries. And I kind of forgot about that, but from time to time I'll pull them out and see what I saw this week. I pulled out Hebrews to look at John Calvin and what he had to say. And I saw in the beginning, in the opening part of the book, a letter from some friends in my church in St. Louis, where I was student ministries director. It was Matthew 24, verse 35 that they had written in the, in the binding in the beginning of the book. 
Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Matthew 24, verse 35. And it said, Love in Christ, the Ray Hayes family. Now, in looking at my life, I really can't thank Ray Hayes enough. And when I get to heaven, where he lives now, I will get to thank him in person. But Ray Hayes was a dear friend of mine during a difficult time in my life. He was an elder in our church who, knowing that I was struggling, called me just about every day and and really almost made a nuisance of himself because he wanted to make sure that I knew that he was in my corner, that he had my back. And so he called me. This is before cell phones. He would call me on my work phone, and I wouldn't know it was him until I answered, and then I was caught. I was thankful later on to be caught because Ray was my encourager. He was the one who prayed for me and stayed by my side to keep exhorting me and to keep encouraging me to keep believing God and trusting the Lord with my life and with my ministry. So I say that to say to you, we all need encouragement. We all need exhorting from time to time. We all need to have people in our lives, believers, who point us to the love of Christ and point us to the love of Jesus. Which brings us to our verse of the week, which is Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let's read it out loud together. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the trust that you've placed in our hearts to trust you even during difficult times. Lord, there have been times where our hearts have been hard and we have not trusted you. We have not believed you. And so we pray that you would keep our hearts pliable, keep our hearts soft, that we might hear you, Lord, as you speak to us and that we might obey you and be your obedient disciples. Give us grace today and each day as that we live, that we might honor you in the way we live and give you glory for all that you accomplish in our lives in our church, in our community, in our world. And Lord, would you use us, would you use each of us as a bright light to be an encourager for someone that we love and care for. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.